Hello, and welcome to Resolutions, a podcast about dispute resolution and prevention. For those of you listening for the first time, this podcast is a project created by the ABA section of Dispute Resolution. Resolutions podcast provides engaging conversations with members of the dispute resolution community about topics of interest in the field. My name is Kimberly Cook, and I'm one of your hosts. I am a divorce and family mediator and the founder of Dovetail Conflict Resolution in Chicago, Illinois. This podcast is one way we at the ABA are celebrating our program sponsors and thanking them for their support over the years. Today, I'm sitting down with Dr. Neil Lester. Dr. Lester is a foundation professor of English and founding director of Project Humanities at Arizona State University. Dr. Lester is the author or co-author of seven books, a frequent radio and television guest, columnist and blogger, and has received numerous accolades and distinctions for his public scholarship and professional service. I am so honored to welcome Dr. Lester to Resolutions podcast today. Dr. Lester, welcome and thank you for joining us today. Well, it is my pleasure and I look forward to the conversation, but thank you for your interest. Yes, very excited to learn about Project Humanities at Arizona State University. So, you know, as we get into the conversation, why don't you tell our listeners about Project Humanities? Okay, well, in its in its uh, simplest form, Project Humanities is a university initiative here at Arizona State University that brings individuals and communities together to talk, listen, and connect. In fact, if we had a tagline, that would be our tagline, tagline, talking, listening, connecting. And the idea is how do we take conversations about humanities and demystify them in such a way that this is not an academic conversation about disciplines, but rather about how we are human and how do we demonstrate or not our humanity. And so it's, it's, in, it's research-informed uh, conversations, activities, lectures, film screenings that bring a critical lens uh, through uh, multidisciplinary approaches as well as intergenerational participation. That's fantastic. But you know, I think a lot of people may be listening thinking, what is humanity? Right, we have our own kind of notion, and maybe we, from our own life experiences, right. think about this idea of humanity. But when you're talking about humanity, I love the idea of understanding kind of what is humanity 101. Right, humanity 101 is interesting, and it, it evolved probably about. I'm 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 thinking of the dates because Project Humanities is celebrating our 10th year anniversary this year. Congratulations. And we were three years in operation and then we came up with an initiative within an initiative called Humanity 101. And Humanity 101, the name grew out of a forum at the National Press Club um, wherein we were addressing this question of are we losing our humanity? That was a more interesting and engaging way to have a conversation across disciplines, professions, generations, uh, and geographies in a way that was not about talking about, you know, the crisis of humanities. You know, within this sort of academic world and university space, there's always a conversation about 
the crisis in humanities. We don't have enough majors. And of course, you know, majors bring funding. And, you know, instead of increasing the pie that's available, we keep shifting pieces of the pie around. So we'll bring over a business major who is now an English major or a political science major, but you're not adding more people to the mix, you're just moving people around. And so we knew that that conversation about humanities often resides in a space that excludes people. So we talk about disciplines and we talked about disciplines like English literature, linguistics, film studies, uh, creative writing, rhetoric and composition, the writing programs, as though these were static uh, disciplines. And, and what it wasn't acknowledging was the fact that so much of what we do makes us feel like we're sort of the, you know, the university that brings people to us as opposed to us going out and looking at connections with multiple communities, both inside the university and outside the community okay. or outside the university. And so this, this idea of humanity 101 was to say, what are those fundamental things that we as humans connect with that show us how to be human rather than trying to address a question I can't answer is what does it mean to be human? What I can do is show, because I haven't been anything except human. My behaviors may not be humane, but I've certainly not been anything else I was unaware of that was not human. Okay. But this was a question of how we're human. So rather than, you know, we had this wonderful gathering at the National Press Club And one of our supporters said, well, what are we going to do now? Because we can go to these conferences and have great, you know, cheerleading sessions and we're all rah, rah and ready to go. But then we don't have any, like, we don't know what we're supposed to do with all that energy. His suggestion was, well, why don't we create something that people can do? And he said, we'll call it Humanity 101. It's foundational. You know, if you're going to take a class in music, you have to take the 101, English 101, History 101. It lays the foundation. So we came up with these seven principles that we now call Humanity 101. And the principles are empathy, compassion, forgiveness, integrity, kindness, respect, and self-reflection. And what we recognize is that these are not necessarily faith-based because it's easy to find people who are saying, well, if you believe in a certain faith system, this is how it plays out. Right. What we arrived at, he and I, was this notion that these are present in cultures across the spectrum. And they're even, you know, there in university culture. You know, we talk about plagiarism. We talk about academic integrity. We talk about, you know, forgiveness of loans and debts. So there are ways in which, you know, this was all about, um, you know, how do we look at people and ourselves through this lens of a greater social good and humanity? And the idea was not to preach to people. The idea was to get people to become ultimately more self-reflecting, not only through your lens as an individual, but also through your organization. So how is your organization living up these principles? And what we have come to see now is just, and I say now within the, the year since George Floyd's murder, is the way in which these principles undergird justice. That this is what justice is. Justice that Dr. King was, you know, asking and challenging the lack thereof when he was, you know, in Memphis before being assassinated was this declaration that I'm a man, I'm a human. Right. 
I may be poor, but I'm still a human. I may be black, but I'm still a human being. Right. And so that's what this this was uh, clearly aligning with are issues of justice. And now we're just pointing that out more clearly now when we have our programs on menstrual equity or voter suppression or the um, the war, uh, the decriminalization of the war on drugs. All this is about humanity or the lack of humanity. How do we treat people? How do we treat people? I, How do we I, treat people? You know, I think that's certainly a fundamental question, especially when we start thinking about problem solving and resolving yes. issues, because going to, you know, just the question of how do we treat people in social settings, yes. in community spaces, you know, within our universities or organizations, and thinking then through the lens of our own experiences, um, our own biases, and really making that connection Yes. of how do we treat people and by extension how then do we want others to treat us and finding then the the connection between the two so you have used the word initiative mm -hmm. and i'm curious as you know the the intentional use of the word uh initiative when describing or talking about project humanities can you Help me understand a little yes. bit more. Yes, uh, let me let me back up just a little bit and say, you know, it, the humanity is also about the extent to which or how we respond when we are not treated the way we want to be treated too. Okay. So it's yes. it's not just the fact of you know treating people the way we want to be treated, but also how do we respond when we're not treated the way we feel like we need to be treated. Um, and so that forgiveness piece. Uh, the ways in which we don't often forgive ourselves right. uh, and, and the ways in which it's much easier to point fingers at what other people are doing than what we are doing. It's much easier for us to do that. So well, that's just a little caveat to, to that bit about how we want to be treated. You know, naming things is interesting. And I, I love Toni Morrison's uh, take on that when she says, you know, let's put the label out of business. That, that's a real challenge because we are so often controlled by a language for which we don't have um, adequate ways to express all of our experiences. And I say that to say, we call this an initiative because we are not a department. We call this an initiative because we're not a center. There are ways in which departments and centers have faculty and they have students uh, and they have certain kinds of infrastructure. We, on the other hand, are actually not those, but we embrace those and we integrate those into our operations. So we have a small staff and we go out to have these critical conversations. We bring those conversations in. We bring facilitators from various parts, whether you're inside the university or in the practical you know, world out there doing stuff. And the idea is how do we engage people, whether it's our homeless outreach which is now six years old, uh, or our uh, Hacks for Humanity, which is a technology-centered event around bringing people together to talk, listen, and connect, but it's through a competition, though, and a 36-hour competition that's intergenerational, multi-professional, multi-communal. So initiative is just one way to sort of describe that, to, to distinguish it from a department or from a school or from a center. And how you mentioned that Project Humanities is celebrating 10 years. 
Yes. Um, and, you know, over that time, right, a lot has changed in the world, right? Um, you know, how has the initiative's work developed over the years? Yeah. Well, and, and it's interesting because, you know, 10 can seem so young, but 10 can also seem so old, especially right. um, when we're, we still live in a space socially, academically, where humanities is not often um, valued in the same ways that other areas within the university are valued. You know, we, we rarely see people having to explain what business is, right. rarely have to explain what engineering is. There may be different types of engineers. We don't, have to, we don't have to explain that or justify that. We often don't have to explain what the arts are. Um, humanities, however, tends to be something that many people, even humanists, can't quite explain. And so we thought by creating Talking, Listening, Connecting, that explains it. That's it. That's doing it. And let's not be so concerned with the definition than the actual doing of it. So initially, we were just talking, and I was serving as a central administrator then, and the idea was how do we um, get more people to see the value of humanities? This was in 2008, 9, 10. And we had an, an economic downturn, not unlike what we are experiencing now, except right. amplified by the pandemic. Yeah. But during these times, uh, students flee and, and, and their parents by extension, because they want people to find things that's gonna land a job so they can get a degree that's gonna you know, have them live happily ever after. And humanities is rarely looked at as something that becomes the foundation for anything you wanna do successfully. Right. Right. Uh, it's always perceived as like an extra as opposed to something that is essential. And so the very beginning of this was just to demystify this. And I use the metaphor of air saying that, that humanities is like air. We know that we need it to live, uh, but we don't often think about it until we start suffocating. So it's much easier for people to recognize the value of air when you're suffocating than when it's all around you and it's free. Uh, and I mean, unless you go to some service stations and you have to right. pay to put air in your tire, which I'm right. still not able to understand. <laughs> but the, the idea was we would start with a week and we would come up with a theme Okay. And the first theme that we had was perspectives on place. And the idea, which is also um, permissioned by the fact that our president uh, of the university has sort of rebranded Arizona State University as a new American university. Okay. And with that comes certain design imperatives. And the idea was how do you create a niche uh, that is this university's uh, redefinition of excellence. It's redefinition of what it means to be at a university and who's at the university and how do you define the university by those we include than those we exclude. Okay. Because so much of what values and matters in this society is exclusionary. Right. You know, and in the humanities to that extent, you know, sure. I'll write a book that only I and my colleagues will understand right. rather than writing a book that is what we call now public facing. My work as a researcher has always been public facing. Okay. So I was writing that with other people in mind and not the two other people who knew the rhetoric that I was using. <laughs> yes. and, and I could say, you know, the, the uh, lawyers have not always been um, kind to non-lawyers when you write stuff. Wow. Okay. <laughs> okay. I've read those documents and I'm like, wait a minute. Okay. Who well, are they writing? episode for another time, but yes. <laughs> 
see, there's a self-reflective piece I'm inviting people <laughs> to look at. So we, so we first started with a week. And the idea was, how do you look at points of excellence that are not necessarily the East Coast or the West Coast? Because here we are in the Southwest and people tend to overlook us. Sure. So we thought, well, let's create this, this hub of excitement around humanities here and leverage where we are to say, this is a place of excellence also. And let's start with looking at what is here. We look at the land, we look at water, we look at indigenous spaces. We look at conversations that are very different here than they may be in the deep South sure. or in the Northeast or on the West Coast. And the idea was that we had panels, we had you know some, some visual displays, we had posters on the yard, you know, asking questions like what tools adjust your moral compass and then had people painting responses to those. Oh, wow. and that was a way of bringing everybody across the campus together, the students, the faculty, the administrators, um, the emeriti, the alumni together in these spaces that ordinarily people wouldn't come into because we're often more siloed than not. Right. And that grew into a week. And then it grew into a semester. We grew into themed uh, um, moments of sharing. And you could have a, a history professor talking to a social scientist, talking to a biologist, talking to a rhetorician. And all of that became ways of embodying humanities through storytelling, through narrative, through you know, all these different ways of critically examining themes. We've had themes like, um, humor seriously, okay. where we had a, a student-led contest of using humor as teaching pedagogy. Oh, wow. you know, it's it's how do how do how do teachers and those who educate purposely use humor and not necessarily comedy, but humor. And right. we invited we invited humor scholars in from national and international organizations to talk about why we laugh when we laugh. And is humor just about laughter? Because humor is about irony, humor is about sarcasm, humor is about all of these things. So it was not only to educate, but it was also a contest where the teachers who were nominated by students had to demonstrate how they use humor in the classroom. That was a lot of fun, but it shows us that you don't have to be in a certain discipline in order to engage humor. And so those conversations then became uh, from a week to a semester to two semesters. And two years ago, we actually started year round programming through, and this was when the pandemic started, through a podcast club. And a podcast club is very much like a book club and a film club where we as the staff will choose a certain podcast about a certain idea, invite people to listen, and then we would have, you know, at a time within two weeks of announcing that, a conversation that's facilitated okay. uh, about that podcast. And that has been wonderfully popular as a virtual exercise. And podcasts, you know, are very different than, you know, picking up a book and reading it. Yeah, very much um, and, and And often, you know, because of the virtual space, we've been able to um, enjoy presence from, you know, national and international participation. And the, the, the conversation is exactly an hour. So that means it has to be tight and it has to be focused. Uh, and we've had high school interns facilitate that with great success. So it's a learning platform and a leadership platform for them as well. I love that. I, you know, I'm really hearkening in though on this idea of themes, right? And when we think about identifying the theme 
and then building from there. You mentioned, you know, when we're looking at something like humor or um, even a podcast, but, you know, from the context where I sit as a mediator, oftentimes I look for the themes, right? Those things that I, that I'm hearing, the needs and interest of the individual, kind of what's the theme? Because that's usually what's connecting us. And so with that in mind, you know, I'd love to hear from you about that connection with our humanity when we look at solving problems, right? So in our communities, in the country or around the world, where it's identifying the, you know, humanity in each of us as kind of the theme to build from um, in, in, you know, the discussion or connecting a discussion to, to solve an issue or concern? Well, it's, I, I think part of the strategy is to identify the many, many, many ways in which we are not connected. Right. And then to recognize that there are spaces where we can connect despite those differences. I think in the work that I've done as a faculty member who studies you know, African-American literature and culture, I've actually brought that same kind of approach to Project Humanities, which is let's look around at what's happening in the world and see where connections are being missed, okay. where the communication is being missed, and what can we do as a platform to sort of be an intervention for those. So, you know, that, that are we losing our humanity, which was the, the thing that kicked this off at the National Press Club in Washington, actually came from Penn State and the, um, the fiasco that we're still hearing about with uh, the gymnast coach who was molesting the female uh, gymnast. Yes. And, and, and what, was, what, was, what came out of that was people were watching and knowing about it those who did know about it sure. and did nothing about it. So the question is, are we losing our humanity? Right. And so th that to me is the question that could be asked for any of the programming that we have done, whether okay. it is about death and dying, uh, menstrual equity, um, white women dismantling white supremacy or the economics of racism. Any of that can be grounded in, are we losing our humanity? And I remember per presenting this question when we were hosting the, uh, the, the, the spectacular legendary poet, Nikki Giovanni, and she was coming to talk about compassion and poetry. And I said, I just wanna make sure that people know why we, you know, why we have you here. You know, are we losing our humanity is sort of our focus and her response was, well, when have we ever had it? <laughs> when, when have we ever had it? You know, every moment in our world and U.S. history has been informed by conflict. Yes. And conflict can lead, and I don't mean conflict in a way that educates people, conflict sure. that destroys people, right. that our very existence is based on denying someone else their humanity too often. Right. So that was an opportunity for us as the team to look at the ways in which you know, attitudes toward humanity evolve. And I started thinking in my own work about, you know, Charles Dickens and the best of times and the worst of times is that we have always done that. Right. You know, even in the worst familiar situations or communal situations or global situations where there's been horrific tragedy, 
there have always been these ways in which people have somehow risen above to be better and bigger than themselves. And so in many ways, I think we've evolved because we now see the work that we have been doing for the past 10 years, which is what this anniversary moment allows us to reflect and also to project, is that we've been doing justice work. We didn't know we were doing it then, but we've been doing justice work. Justice work is about looking across the spectrum beyond diversity, uh, beyond inclusion, but looking at the ways in which diversity, humanity, and, and justice are interconnected. And it's about what Dr. King says in his, I believe it's the 1967 Stanford speech, The Other America says, disrupting the status quo. Disrupting the status quo is what brings about change, not looking at things gradually and doing what we can, not only to educate, but also to be educated about what we're doing. So our team would never start a program if we knew the answers. What we do is we start a program because we want to know the answer. So it also has meant that we have had to be nimble. uh, And it means that when George Floyd's murder happened and there was this alleged reckoning that we changed our programming and immediately did something on, you know, racism and capitalism as conjoined twins, as uh, Ibram uh, Kendi talks about. And we talked about, you know, we had people come in and talk specifically about capitalism and the building of this country and the ways in which that was, that was intentionally racialized. Um, When we talk specifically about white women dismantling white supremacy, it meant that white women occupied a space and occupy a space that's very different from other uh, identities in this country, both being complicit with but also benefiting from. Um, And this semester, we have, uh, as, as we plan for the fall, we've shifted one program to the spring because we want to do a program on dispelling the myths um, uh, the myth of uh, teaching critical race theory in K through 12 classrooms, okay. because that's what people are talking about. And we want to know where is the urgency and where is this being conflated with other stuff? So that's how we've evolved. We've tried to listen to what people want. We have ideas coming in from our supporters who say, oh, what about a program on this? You know, we have two of our supporters who are gastroenterologists they had not been to our programs before, but somebody else had been. And they were like, oh, we'd really like to have some programs on Sikhism, you know, Sikhism 101, letting people know, because too often we confuse Sikhism with, you know, uh, Muslims and people don't look. And we thought, okay, let's, let's do this. So they came to us and they said, we'd love to do some programs with you because we know what you're doing and we like what we see. And we had three programs that were about interfaith because fortunately we have people on our team who do interfaith work uh, academically and know how to sort of lead us into the best places to do that. And that was an undergraduate student at the time who has now become a staff member. That's how our work has evolved. We still listen, but we've also made sure that justice is at the heart of what we talk about and that we know it's framed that way. And even beyond that, I'll say that since George Floyd's murder, we have also very deliberately started our programs with a land acknowledgement so that we are not just thinking of this in terms of black and white, but we're trying to look at racial justice in many, many, many ways and acknowledging that uh, we are not a nation of immigrants, that we are on stolen land is a way of also addressing the justice piece of this. So it's about 
asking questions, asking questions, you know, participation, um, and, you know, flexibility, cooperation, all of those things that we know um, are necessary to, you know, progress. Um, and certainly in, you know, in my world, um, you know, to resolution in some way. And, and by uh, resolution, that doesn't necessarily mean, you know, a shake hands and an agreement, but sometimes it means the ability to openly listen, to understand, to be heard. Um, and many, many times um, that just doesn't happen. Um, and so, that often is a first step to to moving everybody forward in the in the right direction. Well, and the listening piece is really important because that's something I have to consciously practice for so long. I personally, you know, felt silenced, uh, literally and and metaphorically. I have to be very conscious of taking up too much space as um, a cis hetero male uh, when when there's uh, there are women. In, in, in the space. So all of this has, has forced real self-reflection on me personally, but also through the lens of being the founder of this organization. I brought in lots and lots and lots of Black women. And it was interesting as speakers, facilitators, and I am very, very conscious of looking at panels and facilitators and participants through that lens of what do we have in terms of diverse representation. And it's interesting that I was, to me, that I was sort of called out on that early on because we had brought Bell Hooks and because we brought Nikki Giovanni and because we brought uh, Rita Dove and Angela Davis. And I had, you know, a, a white female say, oh, is Project Humanities becoming synonymous with Black women? And I'm just so stunned by the fact that I would be asked that question because yeah. I'm at a predominantly white institution where... I would argue white men are in these spaces as facilitators and panelists sure. all the time. Sure. And I don't know that that question would be asked of someone who didn't look like me. Right. Uh, and bringing in the people in these were some of our most successful programs where we, you know, fill houses to capacity and violated all kinds of uh, fire rules because so many people were trying to get into the space. Uh, but I've since stopped apologizing for that yes. and just brought people in yes. because, you know, I balance that and say, well, we brought in, you know, we brought in a Mex uh, a, um, a Latinx uh, uh, humorist. We brought in the co-founder of the American Indian Movement. We brought in Jane Elliott. So it's not as if we choose one or the other, but I can say in spaces where we often don't get uh, that kind of representation. And that is the circle that I travel in academically and intellectually that I'm certainly going to. You know, we, we've got a, this fall, we are uh, looking at the controversy over transgender athletes. You know, the bills are everywhere. So yeah. we're bringing people in or we're, bring, we're, we're, we're hosting an event on dispelling the myths, transgender athletes with um, Dr. Veronica Ivey, who is a professional transgender athlete. And we're gonna dispel those myths. So we take it from where are people not connecting and what might we do as an organization to help facilitate that connection for those who are open-minded and want it because that's another reality too, that's is not everybody wants to move into that space. That's and I say this quite jokingly when I'm asking people or inviting people to sign our Humanity 101 pledge, I say like, you know, we don't want anybody who doesn't value these 
these these principles to be on our list. Yes. We only want people who are trying to be better and to do better. And I say that sort of tongue in cheek because I also don't accept the fact that everybody in the room is interested in and values diversity sure. Sure. or inclusion or, or justice. Well, very much so. Um, and I think asking that question though, tongue in cheek, I, you know, I think that requires a level of self-reflection because not everybody is ready. Um, yes. And, and, yes. and that's, you know, um, a, a different kind of conversation, but, but we see that in many spaces. And, um, you know, certainly again, um, I could probably pull together a, a panel of, you know, mediators and arbitrators and, and other neutrals. And there could be a, a long discussion about um, the reality that if someone is not in a space of actually wanting to be open, to listen, to be a part of the conversation, um, then it's, it's not going to happen, right? So, um, you know, th that in and of itself requires um, some, some level of recognition. Um, we don't give up though. That, that's the other part. And part of that comes from my being a teacher and going into a classroom. And what, what we recognize is that if we plant the seed, the possibility is that something might grow from it. Yes. So even if, you know, we, we have to stop measuring, we had to stop measuring our success by how many people came to the program. Okay. We still, we still use the collect that data, but what we also try to measure it by is how many people after the fact write to us and say, thank you for this program. Yeah. You know, five years ago, this program didn't mean as much as it does to me now, or it's because I went through this program now that I'm doing X, Y, and Z. And that's what I, that's what I most benefit from as a teacher, as an educator, because, you know, I know the immediacy of grades. I know the immediacy of student evaluations, but I also know that there's a possibility that people will take whatever was planted potentially or the potential for this and have that blossom into something that I couldn't have imagined. And people's having aha moments are not things that I have to, you know, witness right in front of me on the spot. I have to believe, perhaps naively, that something planted will grow okay. and that I may or may not ever know about it. But I do know this, it won't grow from me if I don't plant it. Sure. I can listen to you all day. Um, and Sounds like I'm talking too much. No, not at all. Not at all. And listen, I, you know, I'm a former litigator. And so I've been known to take up space. And, and so I have had to learn how to, uh, to be an active listener. And um, so uh, you were speaking my language a minute ago. I, I, I have learned very well. Um, but I, I say that because certainly... Um, you know, I want others to know um, more about Project Humanities and where mm -hmm. they can learn more and ways to support um, the initiative. So mm -hmm. can you tell us where um, yeah. we can all find more information to yes. support the great work that uh, you are doing um, with Project Humanities? Thank you. Well, we, we have a website. It's always a work in progress. It's Project Humanities at, AS, er, at uh, asu.edu. So that's Project Humanities at asu.edu. You could also call us at 480-727-7030. That's 480-727-7030. 
And there are ways that you can, you know, follow us on the various social media platforms. But I can tell you, we have so much participation. I like to think globally, but certainly nationally. There's so many different ways. We've, we've got interns from the University of Maryland uh, joining us virtually. Wow. I had somebody from Dubai reach out saying, I want to be an intern virtually. So this virtual world means that everybody can participate in yes. this. And when we go back to whatever that new normal is, it will be some hybrid version of this. Okay. There, we have supporters who invest financially in our efforts from across the country. They are not just here in Arizona. And it has really given us an opportunity to see that the impact and reach can be beyond sort of who lives here where this university is. We wanna be able to have spaces where people feel like they are connecting, whether it's sending us eyeglasses, you know, for our homeless outreach, some reading glasses for our homeless outreach from Georgia or somebody who has read about what we're doing. We also you know, provide research uh, resources as a database on the website. So it's not just events, um, but we've got initiatives under our initiative on <laughs> cultural appropriation. We do programs on parenting, not teaching people how to parent, but how to think about parenting through the lens of Humanity 101. We've got our annual hackathon, which is not just for techies, that comes up annually in October. And we do our homeless outreach. And, you know, people are sending, um, you know, um, uh, monies to support buying water for folks here in the desert, because mm -hmm. we literally are in a desert yes. and people need water both literally and metaphorically. So there are all kinds of ways. And what we invite, uh, you know, I don't designate these communications to other people. I take the time to talk to people, to write to people so that we can figure out how you best might fit into what we're trying to do and not necessarily dictate a role for you. But what? there is a role for everybody. It's sort of like that songs, there's a place for us someplace. There's a place for everybody someplace in Project Humanities. Why am I not surprised that you, that you are, you know, in there, sleeves rolled up all over? You know, <laughs> well, some might call that micromanaging. No. I like to call that, I'm a, I like to call that caring about yes. the people who are helping us do that. There's absolutely no success without collaboration. You know, I am I am one who subscribes to that on every level. You know, I now understand when people are thinking, you know, everybody, their sister, brother, mother, neighbor, family, that who we are and what we do that has been called success is because we had people along the way who were cheering for us, helping us become who we've become. And Project Humanities could not have done this without other people jumping in and say, I wanna be part of this. So that's what my hope is that people will be excited by, curious by, and wanna come in and say, I wanna be part of this. Fantastic. Dr. Lester, thank you so much for your time today and for Project Humanity's support of the ABA Dispute Resolution section. It has been my pleasure to chat with you this afternoon. I am uh, certainly motivated to continue in this conversation, um, both with Project Humanities, but in, in the larger kind of community, um, because as we know, um, you know, we can all do something to better our community and our and our world. So Absolutely. thank you. 
thank you very much. And I, I wish you nothing but success as you have your mediation week. And I'm glad that we could offer a small contribution to what is uh, something that is all helping us be better and do better. So thank you very much also. Thank you. All right. Thank you for listening to Resolutions. Please join us for other episodes as we engage in conversations with members of the dispute resolution community.